Acts chapter 26, we have been following Paul's journey as he, he got back to Jerusalem. And uh, it, it's been a difficult time from uh, pretty much the get-go. We're not going to go all the way back, but Paul was in prison uh, in the, the city of Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea for about two years. The Roman governor, a man named Felix, uh, would call Paul in often, and Paul would uh, teach him about uh, the gospel, and, and the Bible says he communed with him of righteousness, of temperance, which means self-control, of judgment. In Felix, this Roman governor actually trembled at the word of God. Uh, but as far as we know, he never got saved. He told Paul, you know, basically someday when I have a convenient season, uh, we'll take care of this. Uh, but his ulterior motive was really he wanted uh, Paul to pay a bribe. And, uh, of course, Paul was not going to do that. That would be dishonest. And uh, he also was willing to show the Jewish uh, people who hated Paul a favor. So he just left Paul in prison. Uh, he got sent back to Rome and the new Roman general came in, a man by the name of Festus. Um, and uh, uh, Festus, uh, he just uh, real soon, he, he met the Apostle Paul. He went to Jerusalem. His enemies uh, uh, immediately came and said, there's this guy up in Caesarea, and he's a troublemaker and, and, and so forth. So Festus had a trial right away. He didn't wait around on that. And uh, the Jews, the Sanhedrin from Jerusalem came up. Uh, they had all their accusations, none of which they could prove. They had no evidence for anything at all. And Festus knew that. Uh, but the Bible says, if you look at, again at chapter 25, verse 9, Festus willing to do the Jews a pleasure. He didn't want to upset his his uh, new constituents. Uh, so he asked Paul, uh, will you go up to Jerusalem? And there be judged of these things before me. And Paul knew that was a disaster. Uh, there was already a conspiracy of a bunch of men saying, we'll never eat uh, until we've killed Paul. And that was two years prior, so they've given up on that. But they still wanted to kill him. And so Paul, recognizing the futility of this, he said, I appeal to Caesar. Paul was a Roman citizen. Any Roman citizen that was at a court of law had the right, if they felt like an injustice was being carried out against them, they could appeal to Caesar. We have a similar system here, uh, and the, the final place you go is to the Supreme Court of the United States. Now, the Caesar at this time was Nero. Nero was 22 years old uh, or thereabouts uh, when this event took place. And at this time in his life, Nero was not a lunatic. Um, he was under the influence of a Roman senator named Seneca. Uh, in the first few years of his reign, he actually was a good leader and a good ruler. Um, but at the same time, he's running this massive empire, and he was not going to be bothered by trivial things. And when Paul turned the tables on Festus, said, I appeal to Caesar, Festus had no choice. Uh, he had to, to uh, go along with it. That was the law, and Paul was a Roman citizen. But Festus had a problem, and that is he had no charges worth anything to lay against Paul. If he sent him there, and he went into the, Paul went into the uh, presence of, of Nero, and Nero said, who sent this guy here? That, why am I hearing this case with all I've got to do? Festus would be in trouble with Nero and could face a recall. And uh, so uh, 
Festus found a way out of it. We saw in verse 13 of chapter 25 that the, uh, the king of that region of the world, a man named Agrippa, uh, and his wife Bernice came to Caesarea to greet the new governor. Agrippa was the grandson of Herod the Great. That was the Herod who tried to have Jesus killed uh, when he was about two years of age. He's the grandson of that man. His wife, according to his uh, history, was actually his younger sister. So it was a real unsavory type situation. But unlike Felix and Festus, who were Roman governors, Agrippa grew up in that region of the world. He was not Jewish. He was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. But he was well acquainted with the Jewish religion, with the Jewish culture, uh, with the, the way they worked their politics, the whole nine yards. So unlike the other two men, this guy had a handle on things. Agrippa would have grown up when Jesus was still alive. Uh, he would have known about uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We're going to find out from Paul's testimony before him that that was the case. So Paul is about to stand before Agrippa. Festus said, look, I, I, he's appealed to Caesar. I've got to let him go, but I've got to have something to, to send with him, some kind of a charge, and I don't know what to do. And actually what Festus is doing, he is just passing the buck to Agrippa saying, why don't you take care of this and, and, and I'm off the hook. And Agrippa agrees to that. So Paul is about to stand before a king for the very first time. Turn back to chapter 9, and then we're going to start in chapter 26 and try to move forward tonight. Acts chapter 9 is where Paul got saved. Met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And... Um, after he got saved, the Lord appeared to this man named Ananias in Damascus and uh, said, there's a, a man named Saul of Tarsus and he's coming to see you uh, and so forth. Verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So if you will, on the day that Saul of Tarsus got saved, part of God's will for his life was revealed to him. And God said, he's going to bear my name before kings. Every young man in Bible college has a dream of what someday their ministry might be. They dream of going to a town and, and uh, reaching that town for Christ, of building a church, going to a foreign country and serving the Lord there. And, uh, you know, we, we understand that there, there'll be difficulties along the way, but we, we, we have this uh, sort of glorified mentality. Reality hasn't hit us yet. Uh, of all the good things we hope to see God do. Well, God told Paul from day one, you're going to preach before kings. Paul had no idea when he preached before kings, he was going to be in chains when he did so. He's been in prison for two plus years and uh, he's before Agrippa. He's still a prisoner. When he's done with Agrippa, he'll still be a prisoner. He'll go preach to Nero in, in the next few years but he'll still be a prisoner then. God's will doesn't always follow the path that we thought it was going to, 
But God's will is always perfect. God's will is always good. And Paul is beginning to understand that. He's learning to trust the Lord in every situation. Chapter 26 and verse number one, if you would please. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, thou thou art permitted to speak for thyself. None of his accusers are there. So they don't have to go through all of that uproar and, and stuff like that. It's just Paul in front of Festus and Agrippa and his wife and the dignitaries there in Caesarea. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. He begins with a compliment, not flattery, uh, but it's going to tell us a little bit about Paul's understanding of who this guy Agrippa is. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. I want you to notice once again, Paul speaks very politely. Paul maintained a good testimony uh, even before those who weren't always fair and right with him. Paul understood that he is representing the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere that he goes. And so he's standing before a king who's, he married his younger sister. He's not a savory individual. Uh, he's not a saved man. His family uh, has, uh, has a very sordid past. His father killed the apostle James through Peter in prison. His grandfather tried to kill Jesus. That's all common knowledge. Um, but Paul still speaks with a great deal of respect for this man. We need to always bear that in mind. We may sometimes find ourselves in very trying circumstances. How many have found out that people are not always nice? Anybody find that out? Uh, people aren't always nice, but that doesn't give us excuse to be anything but nice. Um, uh, and, and Paul maintains that. Remember before Felix, um, Paul was very, very respectful to him and had a couple of years of ministry. We don't think the man got saved, but here's one thing you understand. Felix didn't reject Christ because Paul was a jerk. Did you get that? He didn't reject Christ because Paul was a jerk. He rejected Christ because other things were more important to Felix than the, the notion of getting saved. The worst thing that we can do is have a bad testimony and then try to share Christ with someone or try to share Christ with someone and then live a bad testimony in front of them. It, uh, the way that we live negates our message if we're not careful. Paul does not do that. Here is where we see that uh, Agrippa does have an understanding of the customs of the Jews. Verse number three, Paul calls him an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. So Paul, for the first time, feels that he's got, if you will, a sympathetic ear. He's also got an informed ear. Felix and Festus, they didn't understand the Jewish nation, their faith, uh, their politics, understood nothing about them, but Agrippa had an understanding of that. Uh, look at verse 26. We'll just jump ahead of, uh, a little bit. Um, here, and Paul is speaking. He says, for the king, referring to Agrippa, knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, 
for this thing was not done in a corner. Agrippa is very well aware of the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He's well aware of Saul's history, of the persecution against the church, of the murder of James, and so forth. Paul says this thing was not done in a corner. So Paul's talking to a different kind of individual now. So he greets him. I, I do think it's interesting at the end of verse 3. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Paul had a tendency to be a tad long-winded. Remember, uh, we, we studied a while back uh, that he was preaching, I believe it was in Ephesus, and he preached past midnight, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting up in, on the third floor of this building, like in a balcony, fell asleep in, the, in an open windowsill, fell backwards on the street and died. And Paul went down, and, and God used him to work a miracle. Eutychus was raised from the dead, and then Paul came in and preached until day, daybreak. Uh, so you think I'm long-winded? Paul had me beat, hands down. So he says, just, just hear me patiently. So now Paul is going to talk about his past just a little bit. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Again, Agrippa knows all about that. The Pharisees were one of the most powerful religious groups in the land of Israel at that time. Even more so than were the Sadducees. They kind of vied. They were like Republicans and Democrats. And, and uh, there were times there were a few more Pharisees than Sadducees. And then it, that, that balance would change. The Pharisees were, they, they controlled society in a lot of ways. Agrippa would understand that. And again, Paul says, um, that after the most strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Paul talks about that part of his life here. Philippians chapter 3. And um, look what he says in verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, meaning... If we're going to talk about our pedigree, we're going to talk about our past and our background and our deeds. He said, I could have a lot of confidence. Here's why. If any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day, just like the Jewish law prescribed of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews. Uh, that little phrase there means that he was more than a Hebrew by nationality or bloodline. He was a man that embraced every aspect of the Hebrew culture. He was devout. Uh, in our society today, there are uh, different, different types of Jewish people. Uh, there are the Orthodox Jewish people. Uh, you, you'll see them oftentimes. The men wear very long black coats, uh, black wide-brimmed hats. They have the forelocks sometimes wrapped around there. How many have seen them and so forth? They are the Orthodox Jews. They are kind of the Pharisees uh, of modern day. Um, I mean, they live extremely strict lives. By the way, ladies, be thankful that you're not married to an Orthodox Jewish man. Orthodox wives... Uh, many of them shave their heads uh, and keep them that way so that they are not attractive to other men, and then they wear very expensive wigs um, everywhere that they go. Kind of a 
I don't know why I said that, but that's just kind of out there. Um, and and they're, they're, they're very conservative, very, very strict um, uh, in, in everything that they live, in the diet, uh, in, in their time, and in, in how they observe the Sabbath and, and all those other things. Then there are what are called observant Jews. These are people that they would go to synagogue now and then. Um, some may go regularly to synagogue. Uh, it would, you might see them on Friday and they wear the yarmulkes on, on their head, the men do, uh, and so forth. Um, and they would light the, the candles on Shabbat or the Sabbath. They would observe Hanukkah and they are observant Jews. Uh, they're religious people, uh, but they're, they're not strict like the Orthodox Jew. And then there's what's called secular Jews who are Jewish by birth and by bloodline, but they really don't have much to do with their culture at all. Uh, they, they generally, they, they don't observe uh, the Sabbath or anything like that. They live pretty much like a, a Gentile, like anybody else would, uh, but they're Jewish by birth uh, and, and so forth. Uh, when Paul says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he's telling, I was to the extreme right uh, of a Jewish person. Again, back in verse number five, as touching the law of Pharisee. The Pharisees had gone through the, the law of Moses with a fine-tooth comb. They had listed the rules and the regulations uh, that were laid out in the law of Moses. And they could, they could tell you chapter and verse. They had them memorized. They were meticulous about them. And then through the teaching of their rabbis, they added to that. Uh, to the point where they had more rules than God did. Uh, the Pharisees were among those that, that came up with all kinds of rules about how you washed your dishes. Uh, Jesus referred to that. You know, you, they, they have rules about the washing of pots and pans. Uh, they, they, the Pharisees criticized him one time, he and his disciples, because they ate with unwashing hands. No place in the law of Moses in Genesis through Deuteronomy is there anything in there about washing your hands before you eat. Do I think it's a good idea? Yes, I've seen my grandkids come in from outside and they need to wash maybe more than their hands. But, but I mean, they, they went to such extremes that if their wives laid out to dinner, they'd inspect the plates and the silverware and all that. And if they didn't feel that the things were clean enough, they would send it all back and have them all rewashed again. I mean, it was insane. Like I said, they had more laws than God did. Um, and so Paul says, touching the law, he said, I was a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Paul was such a Hebrew and so devoted to the Jewish faith that he thought these people that were preaching Christ and the resurrection of Christ were heretics. Um, and, and he thought they needed to be shut down. And he said, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Paul thought he was doing God's will when he was seeing Stephen stoned. Uh, we, we've studied in Acts 9, we've referred to it many times, that Saul was yet breathing out threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Um, this is going to be hard for us to maybe wrap our mind around. Paul was not trying to be a bad person. He was trying to be a spiritual person. He thought he was doing right. Um, that, that was his zeal, but it was a, it was a zeal uh, not based on knowledge. It was ignorance of, of the truth of, of the gospel. But he's telling me, this is what I was. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He's kind of like the rich young ruler. Said, 
Lord, what good thing should I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. Now, he wasn't teaching a false gospel. He's putting this young man on notice. And he said, well, which ones? He said, honor your father and your mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. steal." And so when Jesus quoted several, and the, the young man said, all these I've, have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? And he said, take everything you have, go sell it and give it to the poor. And the young man balked at that because he was covetous. He was greedy. And that one commandment, uh, he realized he uh, hadn't kept it. And the Bible says the young man went away sorrowing because that's not what he wanted to hear. Paul said, I was one of those that touching the law, I was blamed as outwardly, I looked like I was doing everything that I should do. Um, but inwardly, things weren't what they should have been. He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He said, I realized one day none of those things were going to get me to heaven. None of those things gave me a relationship with God. And I realized that I had to set those things aside and come to that awful realization, I may be a Hebrew of the Hebrews, I may be a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but I am a sinner, and as a sinner, I need a Savior. That's what he means, those things that were gained to me, that I thought would gain me favor with God, I realized they were nothing, and I counted them loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul shares his testimony there, and he is letting Agrippa know back in chapter 26. He said, uh, that's, that's who I was. He's about to embark on his testimony. It'll be the second full time that we're going to see that. We're going to learn some things as he shares his testimony that are not found anywhere else. Uh, they're not found in Acts chapter 9. They're not found in his sermon in Acts chapter 22. Uh, and he's going to talk a little more about his conversation with Jesus on that road to Damascus. And um, he's going to take his time. He's going to build a case. He wants Agrippa to fully understand not why he's innocent and should be let go, his big concern is he wants Agrippa to know the message of the gospel. I realize that sometimes we all we can do in our travels is hand somebody a gospel track. For example, if I sit at the drive-thru at Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or somewhere, and I try to witness to the person at the window, I'm going to make a whole bunch of people in line behind me upset, correct? So maybe all I can do is give a gospel tract. Um, there have been people, uh, homeless people, whatever, standing at the, at the intersections. And uh, I've told you, I try to keep tracks always in the, the side pocket of my car, keep a, uh, some money there so I can just get it and hand it out. Well, if the light's red, I can talk to them for a minute or so. I can invite them to church and get, sometimes get to know their name. But once that light turns green, everybody behind me is expecting me to go, I don't have a lot of time. Um, and, and sometimes that's the case as we try to share the gospel. But whenever possible, we ought not rush the gospel. We ought to make sure we're thorough. We ought to make sure we're scriptural. Uh, I, I, I dealt with a lady that we had to sort of reteach some things back in our church in Pennsylvania who was talking about all these people that she was winning to Christ. And someone was with her one day and came back and said, Pastor, you, you need to understand uh, she's not explaining the gospel at all. She's walking up to people saying, do you want to go to heaven someday? Well, yeah. Okay, pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, come into my heart and be my savior. Amen. There, you're saved. Well, that's not the gospel. 
That's not the gospel. Uh, there's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There's why did Jesus come and die? Why do we need to be saved for all of sin and, and so forth? So Paul is going to be thorough about it. He's got that opportunity. He's going to take it. Um, it's going to bring conviction on this man Agrippa, but sadly, like, like Felix, Agrippa is only going to come to an almost point. But that's not Paul's fault. We are only responsible to share the gospel. We're not responsible for what people do with it. But let's make sure that we're very, very faithful about sharing that message. Uh, that's a, this is a little early, but we do have our business meeting, annual business meeting. So we're going to stop there for tonight.